0: And so uh, we have one more week before that begins, and therefore I'm going to use it to preach another sort of miscellaneous sermon. This one from the book of uh, Psalms, chapter 135. Two passages in the book of Psalms. I'm going to read uh, 5 through 7. And then I'm going to read 15 through 18. And this psalm tells us about two different kinds of gods. Psalm 135, 5 to 7. For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Then skipping down, I'm going to read verses 15 to 18. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. Secular thinkers today are doing everything they can to try to replace the old way of thinking which includes religion which includes standards of right and wrong which includes distinctions between holy things and profane things and distinction between humans and animals who believe it includes belief about man having a soul and that we'll live after physical death. These thinkers want to replace all this with the idea that we're just here by accident, that there is no soul and no God and no life after death. There is no ultimate right and wrong. There is no purpose for which we are here. There's no one watching over us. There is no accountability or ultimate justice. This is reflected in a question I was asked this week. When did religion first start? I was asked. Now the person who asked this is thinking of religion as a purely human phenomenon which got invented at some point in the history of the evolution of man. There was a time when primitive man didn't think about things like this. Why am I here? And what is my purpose? And then at some point in this process of evolution, mankind began to wonder about these things. And one of them, or some of them, at some point invented religion as an explanation of why and how we got here. Modern secular scholars have come up with a way of explaining religion. And to make it, uh, and to expose it in their minds as false, as empty, and even as ridiculous. They do this by claiming that man imagined the concept of God by taking human attributes and extending them out to an infinite degree through our own imagination to create God. You see, some people know a lot more than others. So we imagine someone knowing so much that he knows everything. Some people are more wise than others. Some people are smarter than others. Some are stronger than others. Some control a lot of other people. Some are more loving. Some are more beautiful. Some are more skilled. In essence, they claim that God is a result of human imagination. That at some point in the past, people took all the qualities that we admire in ourselves or in other people, and we raise them to the nth degree and came up with the concept of God. They claim that man invented God by extending ourselves to infinity. Now, Bible-believing Christians, of course, believe that the opposite is true. At some point in the past... People took, I'm sorry, at some point, I skipped. We believe that God invented man. And that all the similarities there are between God and man are because we were made in the image of God. Modern secular scholars use a similar technique as to what they do with the Uh, origin of religion to explain other things. For instance, you probably know this, but all over the world that ancient writings that have been found by archaeologists, one of the common things found in all the stories of early man is the story of a great flood. Amazingly, around 270 stories of a great flood have been found in ancient literature in Asia, in Africa, in South America, in North America, in the Middle East, in the Near East, in Europe, in Oceania, even in the Arctic regions. They found stories, 270 of them. Here's what Wikipedia says. Flood myths are common across a wide range of cultures, extending back into the Bronze Age and Neolithic prehistory. These accounts depict a flood, sometimes global in scale, usually sent by a deity or deities to destroy civilization as an act of divine retribution. Now that's a pretty amazing fact. So the question is, how should we interpret this fact? Well, Christians look at this, and we see evidence for the reality of Noah's flood. That as the descendants of Noah spread throughout the earth, they carried with them the memory of this story of what occurred in the days of Noah. But secular scholars actually use this to try to disprove the Bible's account They say that the story of Noah's flood must have come from these myths from other cultures. The ancient Israelites, just like all the other cultures, they heard about these myths and they incorporated them into their own historical tradition and eventually into the scriptures. So Noah's flood is not real. It's a copycat. Again, they claim that instead of Noah's Flood giving birth to all these other flood narratives. The other flood narratives gave birth to the story of Noah's Ark. They do the same thing with sacrifice. The practice of animal sacrifice was common among ancient religions. Again, all over the world. Christians believe from the scriptures that God introduced the ritual of sacrifice in the days of Adam and Eve we see it being practiced with divine supervision in genesis 4 3 and 3 through 5 christian scholars assume that the sacrifices in these other religions are just mutations of the original religion which adam and eve practiced before god And it was passed down from person to person, generation to generation. And as it got passed down, it got twisted and distorted to varying degrees as man's sin was manifested, even in the way he was worshiping God. But modern secular scholars claim that widespread use of animal sacrifice is actually evidence that there was nothing special Or true about the ancient religion of Israel. They were just going along with what everyone else was doing. They say it proves that Israel wasn't getting any special instructions from some god. They were just going along with what other peoples were doing. Again. Instead of the sacrifices in the Bible's story of God's people being the origin of the use of sacrifices in other religions, the sacrifices of other, in other religions are the origin of Israel's sacrifices, proving that Judaism was just another Middle Eastern religion. Sacrifices, Noah's Ark, God himself, in all three cases... Modern secular scholars have come up with a way to flip the script and make the evidence work against the Bible instead of for it. Well, that's what modern secular scholars are saying. Now, let's look at what the Bible says. In Psalm 135, 5-7, we read just now, I know that the Lord is great. And that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. This passage tells us that the Lord is not the same as other gods. The Lord is above all gods. He is distinct from the others. And he is the one who is in control of everything else. He's not being controlled by man or by anything else in the universe. Whatever he pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all deeps. The Bible tells us that God is not an adaptation of human imagination. When God revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am who I am. That's telling us that God is who he is. He's not who someone else made him to be. He is not us. He is other. He is self-existent. He is independent. And though he does have similarities with us, his differences with us are far greater than his similarities. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. Anyone who reads the Bible knows that God is not who people like him to be. And Jesus was not the product of human imagination. Jesus also was not who the people wanted him to be. We would love in our flesh for God to be the way we would prefer. But alas, he is not. According to the Bible, we don't get to be God. We don't get to design God. We don't get to adjust God or manipulate God. He is who He is. How do we know all this? How do we know that there's a God and what He is like? Well, we know these things the only way we could know these things. He told us, He revealed Himself to us. God has graciously chosen for man to have the ability to understand Him. He could have kept himself hidden from man. He is an invisible God, after all. And we would have all been left in the dark. But he chose to speak to us and tell us about himself and tell us about ourselves. For we are largely blind about our own selves. How did God do this? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke by The prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the, that is, he, the Son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. See, Jesus is the ultimate proof because Jesus is the ultimate communication of God and the ultimate manifestation of God. But perhaps those who claim that God is a human invention created in, his, in our own image is not entirely wrong perhaps the atheists are right to a large extent isn't it true that many people worship many more people worship false gods than worship the true God? And aren't those false gods largely a product of human imagination? We read in verse 15 of Psalm 135. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. The work of human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but do not hear. They have ears, but they do not... I'm sorry eyes but they do not see ears that but they do not hear nor is there any breath in their mouths the idols of the nation are the work of human hands and they're made after the likeness of human beings they have mouths they have eyes, they have ears, they breathe they have no self-existence they are an extension of mankind, just like the secular scholars have been saying. We can't agree on everything, of course, but it seems to me that Christians and atheists can agree that in most religion God is a construct of human imagination. So many religions teach things about God which are just an extension of humanity. For instance, some religions suggest that God is a racist, that he favors one people group over another, one nation over another, one language over another, or that God favors men over women, or rich over the poor. Well, we can agree with the atheists that these ideas are extensions of mere human thinking. And therefore, they are to be repudiated. The same thing is true with the idea that God hates homosexuals to pick a modern idea. God so loved the world that he gave his son and that world included homosexuals. And we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, where Paul is talking about homosexuals. And he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Certainly God didn't hate those homosexuals. He loved them so much that he forgave them their sin and welcomed them into his kingdom and his family. All those notions about God are certainly the result of human imagination and not the way God truly is as he has been revealed in the scriptures. And therefore, Christians have every reason to reject those ideas as mere human inventions. But let me ask you this. What basis do secular people have for rejecting things like racism and sexism? I can't think of any. But of course, Bible believers must also reject all kinds of claims which the Bible rejects, like these... That the key to human happiness is finding oneself. And like all religions and non-religions are in essence the same. They are all a piece of the same pie. But let me suggest an even more radical proposal. I think atheists are somewhat correct in what they say about the God of Christians. Is it not true that even the God of many so-called Christians is at least partly a product of human imagination? Aren't there many forms of Christianity which are really based on cultural tradition? I'm not judging any individual or group But it seems to me that the vast majority of what goes on in in the name of Christian in our world is not really Christian at all, but built on formalism and tradition and political power. Just as there are Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and animists and practitioners of other religions who just do what the others around them do, and go along with what they've been taught. So it is with many, many Christians. This is why we must live in the fear of constructing God according to our own desires, or according to our own traditions, or according to the way we are. This is why we must want to believe in the God who is. Much more than we want to believe in the God we would prefer. There are many earthly advantages we must recognize of adjusting God. And believing in the adjusted God. It allows us to enjoy many advantages of being Christians. But also many of the benefits of being non-Christians. But there are two big problems with this. First, you can't walk with a God who doesn't actually exist. He can't actually help you. But the bigger one is that, the bigger problem with believing in a God that we have adjusted to be someone we're comfortable with is that one day we will come face to face with the real God. And what happens on that day is suddenly going to become the thing that really matters. Some folks say, well, God has given us his spirit as well as his word. So we have to listen to both. And in one sense, I agree with that. But it's important to recognize that what God tells us in writing is far more objective And less subjective than what might seem to be what God is telling us in our hearts. The best tool we have to judge whether our thoughts and ideas are from God is to evaluate them according to Scripture. But it doesn't make sense to judge Scripture according to our own thoughts because we know that the Scripture is God's Word. But how can we have the same confidence about our own thoughts and ideas? It is correct that we can be wrong in our interpretation of God's word. I shudder to think about all the times it's been used to justify evil things down through history. And we're all susceptible to importing our own preferences and prejudices and ideas into God's word. That's why it's so important to be careful and humble in the way we handle God's Word. After all, there is one who whispers lies into our ears and tries to coax us to believe things contrary to the true Christ. And whether that voice whispering in my ear is telling me that I've done something that is beyond God's forgiveness or whether it's telling me that the Bible must be wrong about something, I must repudiate those lies and embrace God's truth. Even Christian groups that seem to have the correct theology, that doesn't mean they actually have Christ. And of course, without him, we have nothing. And just because we have the correct theology doesn't mean we have Christ. And without him, we are nothing. What do the secularists have to offer? Nothing really but eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. if it's just us in any ultimate way that's just emptiness hopelessness purposelessness there's no guidance there's no justice there's no right and wrong there's no truth and there's no happy endings you know in one of the hard things about sports is that Everybody has a, has a sad ending to their season, except for one team. So you have, stay you start with 30 or 36 teams. Every single one of them ends the season in sadness. And that's, that's you know, that's sort of tragic. It's like 95% of, of people, more, or more than that, are going to end the season sad. But there is one team that has a happy ending. A really, really happy ending. But in the secularist view of the world, there is no happy ending. Not one. There is nothing of happy endings to offer anyone. We all die and we all disappear. And there's nothing. Verse 18, we haven't talked about. It says about those who worship idols. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. You know, every person becomes like the one that that person worships. Ultimately, if we worship God, more and more we become like God. But if we worship idols, more and more we become empty and dead, deaf and blind, powerless and senseless, just like the idols we worship. Idols may look impressive now, but in the end they will perish And so it shall be with all who worship them. The most important thing in life is to come to grips with the true God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ. He offers us hope and life and love and purpose and meaning and peace and joy but the greatest thing of all he offers us is himself he is the treasure beyond all other treasures the blessedness of our situation is not that we are God but that we are loved by God through his son Jesus who reconciled us to the Father. And when we become His, amazingly, He becomes ours. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, when everything else is done, and when our lives are over, We thank you that there will there is a rock that can never be moved. And that rock is Jesus loves me this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Help us, O oh Lord, to cling to this. To build our lives on this. To spread the word about this. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.